The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 30. A senior vice president of development and production at Nat Geo Wild, Janet Hahn Vissering is responsible for over 200 hours of programming commissioned each year for broadcast in 166 countries, 330 million homes, and 34 languages worldwide. In her role, Janet oversees the premium natural history and animal-focused slates for all of National Geographic's global networks and SVOD platforms, which includes National Geographic, Nat Geo Wild, and Disney+. She closely manages Wild's development team, working with the world's leading independent producers, distributors, creative agencies, and strategic broadcast partners to create the network's signature series, specials, and events. She also provides daily oversight of production to ensure creative continuity and that all network programming objectives are being met, from project conception through delivery. Previously, she was Senior Vice President of Strategic Development and Co-Finance for seven years. As part of her development role, Janet has been responsible for creating key programs such as Savage Kingdom, The Incredible Dr. Pole, Caesar 911, Animal Fight Night, Wild Brazil, and Destination Wild, among other highly rated shows. Hi, Janet. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast this morning. How are you? I'm doing fabulously well. My sinuses is telling me that we are right in the heat of spring. Uh, uh, That's usually my barometer of like whether or not we've gone from one uh, season to another. But that and the color of the pollen that has completely encapsulated uh, my car tells me we are in spring. So I'm really happy about that because it's sunny, uh, 70 degrees outside and, uh, you know, uh, minus my sinuses right now, I'm really happy. Oh, fantastic. Well, as as we're talking about these things, I should say I had my second COVID injection yesterday. And so I'm feeling fluey this morning. So we can just we can just chat away and see how we go. And if one of us has to disappear for any reason, then I'll just edit that out. That'll be fine. So, uh, hey, that's the beauty of ed- being the commander and uh, and the ed- editing button there. So right. uh, let's see how we go. We're, we're, we're a duo here. Uh, fantastic. Well, as always, Janet, this, this podcast is about really showing aspiring filmmakers how the top people in the industry got into this industry. Was it just a straightforward, you know, left school, left college and, and ended up doing exactly what they wanted to do? Or was it this twisty, windy road that I think most of us end up in this industry from? So I'm just going to start right there. What, what, what was your journey that led to this point? Um, wow. Well, um, I know that this is like a half hour ish 
podcast, so I'll try to truncate everything. Um, the first and foremost, if those of us, uh, those listeners or any of your um, uh, um, listeners don't know, I'm actually a Korean American. Uh, so I was born in Korea. My parents emigrated when I was uh, two years old to America. So I'm technically first generation um, immigrant here. And, you know, I, I grew up in the Maryland area. My parents immigrated and went straight to Maryland and we lived in the suburbs of Maryland. And, um, you know, having that pressure of um, first generation immigrant, you know, daughter, and I was also the eldest child. I was also the eldest granddaughter. Uh, so the list goes on of, of a lot of pressure to do the right thing for your parents. And thus uh, I had the, um, the pressure of you must have a, what they thought was a status oriented job, something that, you know, I wasn't just getting my degree or my job for myself. It was a way of, of, I think, justifying why my parents came to America. So there was a lot wow. of, a lot of pressure on here. And, and um, I was supposedly, you know, the first job that comes out of every parent's mouth, I think you know, is doctor. They got to be a doctor because it's almost like an automatic, um, uh, uh, acknowledgement that you've made it or, you know, and as an immigrant parent, uh, they, you know, they, they went from being highly educated in Korea to being very blue collar. Uh, my father was an auto mechanic and my mom, her first job in America was to fold laundry at a hospital. And, um, you know, they were in a world that was, you know, their, um, education and their way of life was just not, it recognized. So, but they did it because they felt like, you know, we're here in America and our, um, our daughter will have uh, more chances in life. It's, it's the quintessential immigrant uh, story. And um, uh, so there was a lot of pressure and I was supposed to be the doctor of the family uh, because that was of course the easiest occupation that my immigrant parents thought. And there were a lot of other parents who all said, my my daughter or son will be a doctor at the ripe old age of, you know, five. Right. Um, but as I was in high school, all, you know, like, you know, doing all the science fields because, you know, you've been brainwashed for the better half of your life to be a doctor, right? You are going to be, you are the smart one. Anyhow, until I hit AP bio. And unfortunately, when I was supposed to dissect a cow's eye as part of you know, advanced placement bio. I don't know if that's something that's same in, in around the world, but in the U yep. U.S. do that in high school. I remember that scalpel going. Um, I tried to cut open the eye, and it just didn't work. And they're like, "No, no, no! You really need to uh, kind of cut into it and slice it open, Janet." And I did that, and I remember the eyeball kind of like you know, like this gelatinous like, and then. The next thing I knew, I was on the ground with my classmates oh, around me going, she's awake, she's awake, she's awake. And I was like, what just happened? And what I happened was I passed out. So the whole medical career thing went out the door. There was right. no way I was going to do that. So I went, uh, I decided, well, then if I can't do that, uh, clearly the science is not calling me. I should be a lawyer. So great. So I was going to be a lawyer. So I went to the University of Maryland College Park thinking I was going to be a lawyer. Pre-law, I was taking classes in all the uh, appropriate areas, you know, international business and English and all that. And um, I graduated and I had a moment of panic where I went and took all the graduate school tests and I didn't think I wanted to be a lawyer either. And I had to buy time. So I, I, 
uh, without my parents knowing, I got a job overseas in Korea uh, as a Korean English interpreter and teacher. And wow. so I graduated and I was supposed to start law school in uh, in the fall. And basically, um, I bailed and I left for Korea in July. And uh, much to my parents, uh, there was a lot of emotion uh, flying. So but when, I did really they, did when did they find out that you were going to Korea? How long did you leave it until you told them? Two weeks before I left. <laughs> Uh, and I had re I had conspired with my grandparents who lived in Korea. Uh, and I just, you know, any immigrant family, there's a huge reliance on the eldest child. And I felt like, you know, I had this revelation of like, wow, I hadn't really been living what I wanted to do. And I just needed to unplug. At that point, my sister was, you know, in her teens and could speak both languages too. And I felt like they had a backup, you know. And uh, at that point, I was helping them with their businesses. And it was almost like a reversal of the parent-child relationship. In the English world, I was helping them with their um, uh, life in, in an American country, And although they were my parents. So I felt like I need to figure this out. So I left for Korea. Uh, long story short, I ended up in Japan uh, working you know, for reasons that is not part of this, uh, this uh, podcast, but yet another one maybe later. Uh -huh. But I ended up in Japan. I was working for the Department of Navy there. And then three years later, um, I eloped with my then boyfriend and fiance, came back to America, and again, really headstrong on going back to law school. But my, hus my husband was uh, first in graduate school. And as I was contemplating this, I realized maybe law school isn't for me. And I started working with a marketing um, group um, and a guy that was there. And, and if, funny enough, I realized I was pretty creative. And even as a kid, although my parents did not encourage creativity, it was all about the sciences and very structured academic. Um, I loved, you know, and anyone who knows me, I loved cooking. I'd love anything that had to do with creativity. I was very entrepreneurial as a kid. Um, uh, and I felt like that business sense and also, you know, creativity and really uh, a lot of mimicry. You know, if I saw something I liked, I would almost reinvent it in, in my own way. Um, things like hairpins to, uh, to uh, and they were all things I couldn't afford as a kid. So every, if I saw a great big bow hairpin, I would try to, you know, like Frankenstein it in, in the way for a lot less. I loved sunflower seeds, but my parents didn't give me any money to make sunflowers. So I grew sunflowers to make sunflower seeds and I started selling this to our friends. So I was always slightly entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial. But um, I went into like a marketing field and then um, I got to know somebody who was working for Discovery Channel in their affiliate sales. And at that time, Discovery Channel was like all on one floor. They had just moved into Bethesda and literally like they were thinking about launching a channel called the Learning Channel. And back then it was really the Learning Channel. Uh, we were talking about how learning has to be incorporated in our thing. And we had a singer named Rory who they wanted to launch. And it was really about take away learning experience slight change from where they are now. But um, they wanted somebody who was um, uh, in marketing and who could communicate you know, their, uh, their mission. And so I applied and I got a job there. So I was in affiliate sales. So that was, I was in a marketing, 
now lawyer and I had bought more time because I said, my husband's in grad school. I can't go back to grad school now. Somebody's got to make a living, right? So I postponed again law school. Um, and I went to go work for affiliate sales and discovery channel for the learning channel launch. Worked there for about a year and um, uh, they said, wait a minute, we're going to be launching um, internationally in Asia. And it would be really great. Uh, and this was kind of, um, I guess, slightly sensitive now in this time. Um, somebody said, we need somebody who's lived overseas and, you know, understands some of that market. And I had just come off living over there for three years and I was de facto kind of of that heritage. And they said, hey, you're a good negotiator. We need somebody in acquisitions, program acquisitions for international. And so I got the job program acquisition in uh, for the Asia territory. Thought this was a dream. It's like all the television shows that I had um, learned and saw. And also I speak, you know, Korean and I have a working knowledge of, of Japanese. So it was great. And then while I was there, you know, kind of negotiating and picking shows that somebody else had already kind of shortlisted for me, that knowledge started getting more in depth. So it was acquisitions, but then they're like, wow, the acquisitions that you are selecting are doing well, Janet. What else can you do? So they're, they're like, well, maybe pre-sale. So I took one step before it became a finalized project. And they're like, oh, well, why don't you negotiate that show, Janet? And then from there, they're like, oh, co-productions, originals. What do you think of that? Read the document, Janet. So my role and the depth of uh, the creative process um, started getting larger. Um, and at that point, you know, um, I, uh, I was, you know, managing a lot more of the international co-productions and acquisitions uh, and working with the regions in building the, uh, the Discovery Channel International uh, programming lineup. Um, and then at that point, I was then headhunted to come over to National Geographic International Channel uh, in their heading up acquisition position. Because at that point, you know, again, networks start off without, you know, you don't start commissioning right away. You, uh, at least back then you didn't, you had to start off with a library. So I thought this was going to be a great opportunity. So I jumped ship and again, started off in acquisitions. Uh, and then realized that, you know, in order to amass a library um, that was competitive, you would have to start looking at co-production. So I started looking at, you know, projects before it was made, again, expanded on that. And at that point, we did all the genres under unscripted uh, science, adventure, archaeology, history and natural history. And um but I always kind of leaned on the animal side probably a lot more. I was just naturally more interested in that. And when it came to that, I, I really focused and that was my passion. And I continued to, you know, work in that area. And then, you know, Nat Geo International Channels just it, it exploded. And as part of that, um, you know, I kept on, I was kind of the drumbeat uh, of, we got to have animals uh, on our network. Got to have more animal show. Got to have more animal show. And I can't remember the period, but there was definitely a period where everyone thought blue chip shows are dead. 
it's just not going to happen. You know, uh, no one's really interested. It's an old fashioned uh, topic. And I said, no, we still have to do it. So I kept on pushing that with my then boss, Jeff Daniels. He's like, oh, my God, you're like the animal, you know, uh, whisperer here. So <laughs> they made way. I guess I got to them and we kept on doing shows about animals. And that was something that I personally took on and, you know, found co-production relationships with, you know, like um, uh, people like, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, OSR, OSR, OSF uh, and, you know, Terra Mater, you know, I'm, I've known Walter and that team and ABC, Dione. Uh, I mean, these are old, my old, you know, friends from a long time ago. And at that time, because we were standard and non-standard television, you could have co-productions with broadcasters. So we, we, I, I really started looking at those opportunities and brought some of those shows to our international footprint. Anyhow, fast forward, um, I ended up having two lovely boys and I actually went a little underground. I went uh, a part-time for about three years and I worked specifically just on co-productions across all the genres for our network. And then uh, when my kids grew up and they didn't think I, I didn't, I thought, oh, okay, I, I, they're, they're going to be okay. Um, <laughs> my then boss, David Haslington asked me to come back because they were launching a network called wild. And they couldn't think of anyone more passionate about animals than me to run the development. But the condition was that they would need me to come back full time. And after much anxiety filled conversations, I decided, okay, I'll come back. And I apologize for all these. <laughs> That's right. You're busy. So that was, about, that was about 11 years ago. And wild as a network has grown, um, and you know that was for the linear channel. And then in most recent times, uh, over the last, I would say, three years, again, I have been a big proponent of we must, as a brand, continue because the heritage of National Geographic was uh, a lot of that was built on nature and animals. And I said, we can't be a National Geographic channel without animals. But as you know, you know, a big epic blue chip shows cost a lot of money. And there was a there was like a dearth of like, where did all the animal lovers go? And it was hard to justify like really big expenditures uh, on, on shows until more recently um, when we then became part of the Disney family. I'm, I'm really fast forwarding sure. myself yeah, here. Yeah. Yep. Um, and again, um, my interest and my passion for animals then became even more elevated uh, to the position now where I'm overseeing three different platforms for all content, we call ourselves Team Nature, uh, and we're now the um, the I would say the guardians or the 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 uh, folks who watch and manage the animal content across all of Nat Geo Wild, which is our linear channel, uh, NGC Nat Geo channel, and of course our Disney Plus platform on Disney Plus streaming platform. That's amazing. I mean, what what a journey! We have twists and turns. That's what I love about speaking to, uh, you know, people like yourself is that there was just no set path, you know, and I think so many of us in this industry are like that. We just didn't set out to go to end up where we are. And yet um, it, I think it's hugely inspiring because it shows people that you don't have to have you know, left school or college, university with this dream of being the senior vice president of development and production of Nat Geo Wild. 
you know, to get there. You just have to, you know, you can you can change yeah. as you go along. And I think it's fantastic. Very quickly, Netgear Wild, did it launch the same year, both in internationally and in the US? Was that different time scale? No, it was actually quite different. Netgear Wild actually started as a as a, a part of the Netgear uh, channel and then it branched off on its own. Um, there was a lot more uh, bandwidth to launch new channels internationally than there was in the U.S. And then in the U.S., uh, I hope I don't get this wrong, we basically, uh, there was a Fox reality channel that was then flipped over to Nat Geo Wild uh, channel from the Fox side. And gotcha. they converted those subscribers into the Wild channel. And that's how uh, it was created. And, it, and you know, if I may go back to your point, it is... Um, you know, it is about experience and also just your innate level of creativity. Um, and my team is very diversified and I really uh, try and um, embrace people's diverse backgrounds and work experience because um, often some of the best people I've had work for me came from, you know, they weren't like a biologist or they weren't a, um, a specific, you know, cinematographer went to film school they had kind of a, a, a outside the box approach. And I like that because um, we, you know, I want that different perspective. And it's been really a great creative process by having, um, you know, different voices. Because television is, you know, you have something like Disney Plus, you have a lot of people who may not even be an animal lover, but I still want them to come in and watch our show. So, how do I look at a show and an idea? with a bit more 360 view than just, you know, I like animal shows, I'm a conservationist, you know, I don't want to be myopic in that way. So having that depth of experience and approach is really helpful. And it, and it helps because there are so many programs that do cross those genres, right? I mean, you have, you know, you, one program might be following a biologist and the work they're doing with a particular species. It may be a vet. Like, I know there's lots of very popular vet shows on Nat, Nat Geo Wild. Um, or it may be specifically like landmark series about wildlife. So there's almost these crossing genres, almost reality cross with natural history. And, and of course, that helps to, to know those genres. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember when, I, I think it was about 2005, maybe 2006, that they launched Nat Geo Wild in, in the UK or internationally. Um, I, I was lucky enough to be a host of Rogue Raiders, which was a launch series in the UK for the channel. Wow. And I remember going to the big party and, and seeing it. And I was ecstatic because I was a wildlife person and all I wanted was to turn on Nat Geo and see wildlife programming. And it seemed whenever I had the chance, I'd turn it on and it'd be something about history. And I'd be like, no, 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 I want to watch wildlife. So when that happened, I thought, it was, you know, I was a happy camper for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Super, super fan. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So now as senior vice president, how do how does your your role work? So, you know, you there there's acquisitions, there's commissions. And I think what I would like actually is I think a lot of people get confused with these terms when they're not in the industry. First of all, could you just explain the difference between commissions, pre-sales, acquisitions, those type of things? So people just get an understanding. No problem, no problem. So acquisition it, when when people use that lingo. Um, hey, you know, um, I, I, I uh, work with acquisitions. It's usually a finished product. 
So the filmmaker or broadcaster will have funded the show either in part with a broadcaster, a distributor, or even by themselves quite often, you know, or they had uh, another mechanism of, of uh, funding the project and it's a finished project. And then they will basically own the show, but they will license it. Okay. And there's a lot of um, networks, for instance, especially overseas, um, say a broadcaster in uh, Korea made a show. Uh, but, you know, honestly, they're not a global footprint. They're, they just made it for their market. Then that show has an opportunity to air everywhere else, you know, after their license, you know. So that's an acquisition. A pre sale is, you know, uh, as you're making the show, uh, when you get to kind of like that rough cut, when you have an assembly or a fine cut, uh, often they will send it out to uh, to different um, uh, um, you know potential buyers with the acknowledgement that hey, it's not quite finished. So if you have any hmm, say input, you know, um, narrator or some storylines that we might be able to edit, uh, it can be yours, but usually for a higher surcharge. Okay. Um, and then there's the co-production, which is, you know, as the word says, it's kind of like, hey, we, you know, have an idea. Um, I'm going to put 50% of the money in, but some, we got to find other uh, uh, contributors. And with that contribution means that they have a say at the table, right? Uh, and that could be, you know, you could have two co-producers, you could have three, you could have multiple. Uh, the more there is, the more voices you have to manage as a filmmaker. Um and I've been in those situations where uh, it was my project and I brought in, it, it's kind of like organizing dinner, you know, where you're saying, okay, dinner at my house, but you're bringing the salad, you're bringing the dessert, you're bringing the wine. And you're like, it's for six people. It's for six people. Oh, by the way, um, you know, this person's right. allergic to this or, oh, you know, we had that dessert last week or wine, please bring at least six bottles. You know, you're, you're managing that, you know, and then, um, you know, you, you kind of come in together and then you hope that everyone likes the whole dinner, but you know, that you are a party to. So it's, it's a, a little bit more complicated, but often the sum is greater than the parts. And that's usually what we're hoping, you know, in the mission. Um, the last part is a commission and that is, you know, um, where you have an idea, whether it's generated by a third party production company or by your own self, um, you then hire somebody as a, like a work of art. We are commissioning you to make this show. I will manage editorially. We think you can make it and here's your timeline. Here's your budget and now go make it, but it's a work for hire. We own everything full, you know, no, no question. And uh, I know as the world of viewers have all started to condense, for instance, streamers and, you know, uh, brands that own uh, global platforms, the, uh, the more um, that commissioning is becoming more the uh, norm for a lot of, uh, a lot of us. And I was going to ask that, is there a particular one of those that makes up more of a percentage of your programming than another? And, and I would, would say right would now, it? to be honest with you, um, almost 85, 90% of what we do is all commission. Because that way yeah. you do, you, you've got, you are in control of the content. That way you're getting exactly what you want rather than 
what someone else wanted, they made, and then you're just paying a license for it. Uh, look, we still buy that, but um, one, um, because we're on a platform that is global, it's really key that we have all the opportunities to uh, air the show around the world. So when you commission it, you know that you can have every right um, that you need. Uh, when you co-produce it, you're going to relinquish um, some of those rights to your partners and whether or not our business model can handle that, it becomes a bit more um, tricky. So for us, it's better for us to just commission a show. Got you. Yeah, perfect. So what, right, I know a few years ago, The Incredible Dr. Paul was, I think, your highest rated show on that Geo Wild. Is that still the, the, the case or do you have a higher rating show right now? Um, as a series on Nat Geo Wild, you are correct. Uh, very, very, uh, thank you for uh, knowing that fact. Um, we do have uh, several new shows that are, are nipping at that rating um, and, and a lot of close seconds and thirds. But right now I can uh, absolutely say that for Nat Geo Wild, Dr. Pohl is our superstar. And now going into our 11th season. Wow. So is, is, that kind of programming, following a vet, he's a, he's a farm vet, I believe, isn't he? Yes, he is. is. Is that kind of programming your top rated programming across the board? I mean, it's a series, so obviously it differs probably from one hour specials. Where do you get the higher ratings for, for, for say, one show? Would it be a one hour special or would that still, would, a, would an episode from that series still, still win the ratings? Um. Well, on our linear channel on Wild, I think Dr. Paul w would probably do better only because there's this longstanding um, audience that, sure. you know, automatically turns that on. For a special, we'd have to market it really properly. Uh, and it, it's kind of like finding uh, sometimes, uh, you know, the one-offs and specials, unless there's significant marketing for it. Um, it's like finding a needle in a haystack sometimes, you know, you're just going through it, going through it because there's no cadence of regularity um, to find that show. So um, our series tend to do a little bit better because it's like, you know, Grey's Anatomy, it's on Thursday at eight o'clock. Okay, I get it. It's yeah. like ingrained in your brain, the show, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, you know, for us, it's like if you like vets somewhere on our schedule, you're going to land on a vet. So uh, right. it's that comfort comfort uh, zone that we offer. So um, uh, I think, you know, right now I, I can honestly say it is Dr. Paul uh, from its consistency side. So in terms of new programming, when you're looking towards the future and you're looking for these hit shows, mm -hmm. do you aim towards those kind of human-led character shows where you have someone like a vet i mean i'm assuming you don't always aim for vets because otherwise you're just going to be full of vet shows but what would you say like right now what would you say that is important for you guys to be looking out for what are you interested in um i will say that yes we do have a significant number of vets on our network um it's kind of like if you like this you know uh you're, you might like this it's like oh um, it's in the same, I guess, you know, type of shows, but that's sure. not the only series that we do. Um, uh, we also do, you know, animal rescue shows. We also have formats. We have Caesar Milan, we have dog impossible. So 
for us on wild specifically the linear channel it's 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 the finding the animal lover in all of us whether you're a pet owner whether you're a conservationist whether you just like warm fuzzy little furry things or whether or not you have a pet and you you see that life of a vet you know um we had something for everyone or even just as straight as like fun animal facts and 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 takeaway you know so we do user generated you know um shows we do um you know more format you know uh, uh shows and we also have like the, our shark fest shows so there's something for everyone you know so i think um it's about getting to know our network and the breadth of the types of shows and then seeing how your work of art actually falls into that and then on top of that we have ngc which is you know a little bit more of what i would say on a premium more traditional blue chip shows uh that go in there as as specials and then of course you know we have the blockbuster um landmark uh bespoke series uh that will then land on our highest profile uh platform on d plus awesome now we're in a place now where we're, the the landscape is just changing technologically all the time I mean, literally within a few weeks, something new comes out, a new gizmo. You can watch it here, watch it there. How do you see, I mean, Nat Geo Wild, but I think just TV in general, cable TV, do you, what do you see the future, the, the evolution of TV? Is broadcasting going to stay very much a broadcasting channel or are you expanding out? I know there's obviously an app, um, you know, and, and video on demand do you see that kind of taking over the landscape of broadcast tv or or do you think it's not going to change too much in the in the near future or really in the in the long term um I mean, I mean, you're, you're, you're definitely hitting an area that, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, so far as television distribution, I'm not an expert, so I'll catch it that way first, but you know, sure. the, the future for us is a lot of the D to C the Disney plus platform. I think there yeah. will always be some form of linear channels, um, that, you know, that people are still, you know, um, um, comfort, uh, comforted by. So I don't know when, what the percentage, you know, uh, on that is going to be, but if you look at any trade, you'll see trends all the time. I, I don't know about the video on demand. I think it's really a linear play versus your D to C, uh, streamers. Uh, and I'm so proud to be part of the Disney, you know, family because we are such a strong brand and it's, 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 it's a, uh, it's a, um, hard to beat platform. Is all of your programming going through Disney plus now, or is it purely just shows made for Disney plus via Nat Geo? Uh, no, um, that's a very good question. A, a large portion of our, uh, our platform, our linear platform is moving over to Disney plus. Um, and that, uh, that subject matter will continually evolve as the business gets more honed in. Awesome. Um, Janet, I have a few questions from some of my mentees. I was literally before we jumped on our call, um, I had a, an hour's live Q&A with my men mentoring group. And a few of them mm -hmm. wanted to ask you questions. And some of these kind of cross sure. over what we've already spoken about. But first one is from Dave Glass. Sure. And uh, Dave says, okay. can you give Dr. Pole his own channel? 
instead of doing eight hour blocks at the weekend. <laughs> so that would be the Dr. Paul channel. <laughs> Um, and what was this young gentleman's no, name? This was Dave, Dave Glatz. Dave Glass. Okay. First of all, Dave, you like, I think I need to get your address and so I can send you like, you know, uh, a little gift. Thank you so much. And I love the fact that you love Dr. Paul that much. Unfortunately, uh, there is a Facebook page for Dr. Paul that you can go turn to. Uh, I, I, I think that there are probably other outlets for you to go and see him, but look, we're going to give you as much Dr. Paul as you want from us. Uh, if you go to Disney plus right now, you can watch, uh, all of uh, Dr. Paul's inventory. So, uh, you know, I would say go there, make it easy. Uh, and I would love his address if possible. Okay. All right. Well, and, and that's great. I think that answers the question. Dr. Paul has his own channel on Dis Disney Plus. Yeah. So, so that's perfect. Um, I didn't realize he was on there in, in the entirety. So every season of Dr. Paul is on Disney Plus. Um. A good portion. Okay. I may have to retract sure, yeah. <laughs> that. A good portion of his episode. No problem. No problem. So, and uh, so, this know. actually uh, opens up a question for me. In terms of the eight-hour block, what's the, the thought process behind that? In terms of doing, and I don't know whether this is your department, but doing the eight-hour blocks of back-to-back -back series episodes on a weekend, yep. how did that come about? Have you any idea? Well, I think, you know, I, I'll have to check the last time we did an eight hour block. Um, I, I was, I'm like not recalling that, but again, uh, you know, once the show finishes and is in the queue to air, I go on to the next project. So, uh, you know, the, the, sure, the, exactly. the yeah, beauty yeah. and the science behind how we schedule is, is, you know, is handled by people much smarter than I am. So, um, Usually, I think the the science to that was built on the fact that we have such incredible, like David, super fans of this series. And it's also in the same way that yeah. on the weekend, I will go through a whole season and even repeat my, you know, uh, uh, British Bake Off. I mean, you know, six hours later, I'm still on the couch reading, you right. know, yeah. uh, it's, it's a, a, you know, it's amazing that I haven't atrophied into the couch when I'm watching my, you know, my uh, baking shows. So I think it's right. that it's like, once you get into it, the word binging is now, you know, now part of our vernacular, you know, as a viewer. So I think, um, you know, it's allowed, we were kind of ahead sure. of the uh, curve by allowing even on our linear channel, the opportunity to binge. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And I have to say, I see your baking photos on Facebook time and time again. And so I can tell you're a fan of the British Bake Off. My kids, I have two boys who love the Great British Bake Off. They watch it all the time. <laughs> That's their favorite show. So, And your, your oh. bread looks amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It, it would be, um, you know, I always fantasize, like maybe I could be that that import that, you know, that comes from America to challenge the Brits. I don't know. But uh, no, I, I do watch it. I did a, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, I actually try to make all the technical challenges as just my own oh, self, wow. uh, 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 challenge. Uh, some were harder yep. than others, but uh, I think I did an oh, okay yeah. job on that. But I'll, I'll do that again this year, you know, when I get bored. Well, I'll have to tell my son Finn. He'll love that. He he did what he's eight years old, and he did the layer, the fifteen layer cake. Oh my goodness! I think it was a toffee cake, and he or caramel, and he he tried that, and he did an amazing job of it, all on his own. It was incredible. Wow! He'll, he'll probably want to chat with you about your bread recipes. <laughs> Not a problem. Happy to. You're right. So I have another question here from uh, Fred Bell. 
Fred says, okay. and this might not be your department, I'm not 100% sure, but there used to be the short film showcase with National Geographic. Is that something, is that your department? I know uh, I actually had a film in it, uh, Path of the Pronghorn, a few years ago, and it was a National Geographic page on the website, and it was all short films, and they were showcased on there, um, and ah. then they stopped doing it. Um, and that shut down, I think, maybe a year or two ago. That would be part of the digital team that is um, part of another business unit uh, uh, under Susan Goldberg. Um, and we do not manage that. So I, I uh, sadly, it, it did, um, I think, you know, um, uh, the digital team, and I could be wrong here, but um, I believe that, you know, that that business, I'm not sure, um, uh, but it was under Susan Goldberg's, uh, you know, editorial team. Sorry, I'm, okay. I'm not able to give you yeah, more yeah, I information thought it might not that. be your, your area, but yeah, no problem. Um, so Emily, Emily Short asks, does Nat Geo Wild have any gaps in programming currently that they are looking to fill? So I think expanding on that really, you know, what are you looking for now? What would be your ideal program to fit into um, your scheduling right good now? Good question. Um, and I think we're at uh, the, uh, the, uh, a really great place right now. We have amazing um, series that um, I will say have all been doing quite well, you know, from our animal rescue shows to um, our vets to other, what I would say, formats. Uh, people, you know, directed uh, shows that are, you know, it's people and animals. So there's this great symbiotic relationship that that we're featuring. Um, having said that, that that's all in a very good place. I am really looking for like, if you love vets, or you love our rescue shows, or you love Caesar Milan, think about what else would you want to see in that animal space, almost like that animal entertainment space. And that's what I'm looking for. I, I'm not, I, maybe that's too vague. I'm not articulating it uh, in a crystal clear way, but it's, it's almost like, um, you know, if you like X, Y, and Z, then what is this going to be? This, this, the question mark. Um, so that's kind of what I'm exploring um, you know, I know my team internally, uh, our development team is brainstorming what those uh, aspects could be. Um, and, you know, I, I would say pitch away, you know, be creative. You know, um, your uh, mentees are all animal lovers. And, you know, I would ask, uh, what would you like to see on our network? There you go. Exactly. We'll throw it back to them. Yes, that's good. Um do you find that presenter-led shows now are less popular than those character-led shows? Like the character like Dr. Pohl, who is a vet doing his job and being filmed, mm -hmm. as opposed to presenter-led. I'm, I'm not sure how many presenter-led shows there are these days on Nat Geo Wild. Um, are you finding that they're, well, they're obviously less popular because Dr. Pohl is the most popular show? Uh, but what's the viewpoint on that? In terms mm -hmm. of people who are looking, some of our, my mentees, if you like, are looking to be in the presenter space. They're looking to get into wildlife filmmaking. They want to film. They want to present. Um, how? What, what's that kind of territory looking mm -hmm. right, like these days or that genre? Um, I will have to be 100%. It's a hard space for us on Natural. Well, we have tried it with uh, a myriad of different people and have not been that incredibly successful. 
I am dabbling in a, a project right now and it looks very promising, but um, I think it's just about the right person and, and the right subject matter. There's a fine line uh, from looking like you're a rent-a-host. Um, you know, that's, that's my yeah. thing where you just got plopped in and are you organic to this? Yeah. And how do we make you feel like you're just taking a, you, this is your natural space. Um, to then the host that really gives some great takeaways and, and they have an incredible connective uh, tissue that, 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 that when they speak, it almost like, you know, it hits your heart and you really want to lean into it. It takes a special talent and a special person to do that. I'm still on the hunt for it. Um, I'm always looking for that, but uh, because of my uh, past experience with uh, not the greatest, you know, ratings, um, uh, we, we, we tend to just, you know, say, okay, humans are secondary. Let's let the animal, the true stars of the show. Yeah. Uh, so we're a little gun shy when it comes to, um, you know, pulling the, you know, trigger for a, um, a new, uh, what I would say host, but I'm not opposed to it. Again, we're dabbling in, uh, our, our, in that space. I mean, for instance, right now we have Brian Scary, who is the photographer and is organically embedded in our Secrets of the Whales uh, series that's going to premiere on Earth Day. Just a little bit of an internal pitch here, you know. Thank you for yep, letting you me indulge. Um, and he yeah. is organically in the show. That works to us much better than it's kind of like come along on my journey. Although we're not opposed to looking yep. at that. The embed host, it works much better for us. Hope that's clear. Yeah, no, I think it is. And and coming from the host world originally myself, I know, you know, you can be as a host, you can be embedded and passionate about something and be very authentic. Mm -hmm. But then you can be handed a page of script <laughs> that you then recite. And it, it's a completely different thing. It's a different skill set because you're yeah. now trying to recreate something. And it's a very hard thing to do. And, and I totally agree. I mean, someone like Dr. Paul, who's there doing his job, that's his ex his expertise is just coming through and what he does and he's being filmed and um, it makes it very, yeah. very popular that way. I think I totally agree. Um, I've got one here from Johnny Simpson Lee. Johnny is a shark videographer. He does 360 videography and he asks, uh, mm -hmm. how would he go about getting his 360 footage seen by Nat Geo wild? Um, I think, you know, look, that's a fascinating, you know, be interesting to see how he captured that. Uh, I've been, I've been, uh, I've discussed this approach. The best person for all things shark is Jesse dot Springer. Okay. J E S S I E dot Springer, as I've said at Natgeo, uh, com. that she is our shark queen. Um, she is the person that basically gathers all of our uh, show ideas and then helps us uh, finalize who our finalists and ultimately commissions are for our shark uh, fest. So she is a person, if you have an idea, if you have an approach, uh, if you're a talent, uh, please reach out to her. That's awesome. Thank you for giving that contact. That's fantastic. So in terms of pitching, when I, I know the number of shows that go from pitch phase to broadcast is ridiculously small. I can't remember. It's a 1% or it's like 0.1%. It's tiny. Um, what do you find in terms of one, how many pitches or, or um, you know, submissions do, does Nat Geo Wild get on a day or, or month or year? 
But two, because uh, I'm sure it's a lot, it's either hundreds or thousands a week, I'm sure. Um, uh, and in terms of the amount of pitches that you're seeing, how many of them are similar? Are you finding that lots of stuff that comes in is just a, a massive overlap, that there's very little unique stuff, or, or, or is it the opposite to that? Um, let me tackle um, you know, that question um, by the genre of the type of program. Um, we have uh, hundreds of, of pitches that are pitched to us. However, I think my team has done a really good job of, of communicating what specifically we're looking for. So we don't get too many random, uh, they're usually within our strike zone, you know, but again, um, you know, I always like to be surprised by getting uh, those random ones that, you know, I know this may feel like an out, uh, uh, like a reach, but send it in. We'll tell you pretty quickly. Um, so the pitch per month is in the hundreds. Um, I can't really give you an exact scientific number of what that yields in an actual commission, but you're right. It is, it sure. is small. Yeah. Um and, you know, uh, it, it's it's definitely um, challenging when it comes to that. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, I think uh, um, just to reiterate your question, because I now have forgotten what your original question was, because I started going off a number <laughs> in my brain. So could you reiterate your question? No, it's okay. It's because I was trying to ask, ask too many questions in one go. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, it was really about number of, and as you said, hundreds a month. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, what... Are you seeing lots of different kind of new ideas oh, yes, 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 or yes. do you find a lot of repeating stuff? Um, as a matter of fact, today I had a very uh, interesting conversation where I was working with um, an author, like verified author of an idea, um, book and everything published. And coincidentally, the day before, and I've been working with his author for over a month now, the day before I got almost the same exact proposal for a series and they had never met. They didn't know about, I mean, this new company had never even heard of the work that this author had done. And again, um, I, I find it very rare that one exact idea is so original that some portion of that hasn't been nuanced before, you know? Sure. And, and then what it is, it's, it's my job to see, you know, who the company is, what the subject matter, what the access is, who's the talent behind it and take that idea and then kind of squeeze it down, but also in a way expand it and make it original for our platform, you know? So there's a lot of brilliant people in this industry, a lot smarter than me who, you know, and a lot more creative uh, who are coming out with some brilliant ideas. But I will say if you think that you're the only person coming up with this idea, you're probably going to be wrong because there's lots of really right. people around the world. So um, yeah. what I would say is that, you know, uh, if you're a, if you're new to this process of uh, creation of, of an idea, one, um, when you send in your projects, make sure that you've, if there is a copyrighted thing, you know, or never before protect your IP but then don't assume that only you have come up with ideas. So don't get offended if we already say, oh, we've already seen that. Because again, it's our job to also scour the earth for new ideas and, and get to know the context. Um, 
a lot, a lot of time just going on ideas. A lot of uh, uh, our ideas, a good portion of our inventory is based on ideas that we have come up with internally. Right. And then you're reaching out to certain production companies or you're looking for particular people to, to be in those shows? Yes, yes, yes. Or create it. Or create it from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And and so, Janet, for, for aspiring filmmakers out there, people who are literally trying to break into this industry, and, you mm-hmm. know, this, this is really across the board. So we're talking people who may want to be presenters, people who want to be DPs, camera people, people who want to produce, people who want to be, you know, in development, wherever, researchers, wherever they may be. What would be your one piece of advice to really help them get their foot in the door? Because this is not, as I reiterate many times, this is not a usual kind of industry where you follow the step-by-step guide and your foot's in the door. You know, this is very unique. And, um, yeah. and you know, people are across the board, say people want to do different things. What would be one piece of advice to help them get their foot in the door? Uh, well, the first thing uh, would be uh, welcome to the club and your timing couldn't be better, Okay. Um, like I said, I spoke about, you know, maybe it was, uh, gosh, 10 years ago where everyone said blue chip was dead. I would be on panels uh, at wild screen or at, you know, uh, at other film festivals where like, Janet is, is, is blue chip dead? We're like, no, it's not dead. It couldn't be more um, fruitful and bountiful and, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, successful as it is now. Um, there is literally an arms race is how I can describe the talent, you know, get list right now and, and people on the ground to help make shows for all of our premium platform, um, uh, uh, you know, these streamers that are around. So if you're interested in this genre, um, one, do a little homework, and I know that sounds a bit, you know, very, you know, basic, but do your homework and, and, and you know what, reach out. You know, there are people who are needed, guys uh, and gals, and, and offer your, uh, your resume up and, and say, I'm willing to do anything because I think the natural history filmmaking um, genre, it, there's a lot of, uh, a bit of apprentice, apprenticing you know, to grow your skill set because it is very, you know, singular um, and there's no rhyme or reason. You know, I actually, uh, you know, the last, I would say last 10 years that I've been in this role in the now, I almost had to school myself. So I've been going out in the field with producers and I was, you know, I used to say I'm the glorified, you know, PA with a credit card because I wanted to learn the field production so I could do my job better. So over the last 10 years, I have been out in the field, you know, even if it's just for a few weeks or a couple of weeks or there, I have put myself in there to understand the business, not to the scope of some of the most amazing cinematographers I work with, but I know just enough to speak a little intelligently and to appreciate what they do and to appreciate what efforts go in. So it helps me develop shows better, but it, it starts from reaching out to people. People are very busy, but be willing to do anything. And, and there are so many, I think right now, the timing is great. Um, you know who the big companies are. Look on, you know, look through uh, who's making shows, you know, Google it and and find out those names and um, find out what, what 
position they may have and get your get in on it, you know, as as an entry level person and earn your way up. You know, uh, if you haven't tried this, offer your services, uh, internship, anything to get in. And then I always used to say that television executives are inherently kind of lazy. So if you know of somebody and you do a great job, they'll hire you back, you right. know, uh, and, and what you're what you did in your last job doesn't really matter because you're doing a good job at the moment and in that job. And and honestly, it's a great opportunity because if you do a good job, they will put more work in front of them. Yeah, well said. And I, I think I, I hear that a lot. And I know that from traveling with crews. You want to be with people that you know, one you can trust that's going to help get that production done at all costs and will jump into any role. There's nothing worse than having a person on a crew who turns around and says, oh, well, that's, yeah, I, that's, I, I, that's not my job. That's not my role. You know, it's all about who can do what, one, when, when it's needed. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's such valuable information. And just 100%. lastly, Janet, I'm interested. I get questions a lot about technology and how technology is just changing production mm -hmm. and uh, um, shows in general, whether it's things like thermal cameras or drones, you know, all of this new technology that's coming out. Do you see that as a big um, draw in terms of new pitches? Is technology kind of big on the list in terms of we, we must have more shows with specialty drones in or, you know, the footage captured in that way? Or are we just at a place now where most of that stuff is becoming affordable for every production to have um, and it's it's losing its panache in some ways? No, um, look, technology, Just let's just take... Um... Let's just take our iPhone, you know, uh, as an example. Uh, what you can do with this phone is vastly different from what we could have done with this two years ago. And so imagine um, where um, a cameraman, a, a camera that could um, now transform and show you things that you may not have been able to see, you know, or hear or realize whether it's a thermal camera, whether it's high speed, whether you're, you know, uh, it's a tracking device, whether it's uh, gy gyro stabilized there and the drone technology is, is immense. I think that it gives you that perspective that you've never seen before. You get closer, you have a different angle, you see from above uh, and you're just able to, um, you know, see this, the secret life behind some of these animals. And I think that's what's fueling the interest because you know, um, a bird that was shot, you know, on, on, on camera 20 years ago is not the same perspective that you can uh, execute now. So technology is huge. Um, but then the number one thing is about the storytelling. How does the technology help with the basic storytelling? So it's a two prong uh, approach, but technology is definitely, yeah, the, the long lens on a stick isn't going to cut it anymore. Awesome. Awesome. It's so good to hear that from someone in your position who's in that position of seeing those pitches come in and, and knowing. Uh, so many people ask me that question with the idea that they're, they're trying to specialize in particular technology and, and is that a good way to go? And, um, and so I think that answers the question. Janet, thank you so much for being on the show this morning. It's fantastic to have you here. Well, it's the afternoon where you are, of course, and this morning where I am. Um, thank you so much. Um, I, I love hearing stories like yours where, you know, you set out in one direction and you go over here and back there and it just, you know, all works out in the end. Um, did you ever go back and try and dissect a, a cow's eye again? 
No, not at all. And um, I will say <laughs> that um, I think um, I think it's 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 you know for me being um, a, a woman of you know uh, of color and also not the what I would say um, the the job of choice from your parents and cultural background. Um, if there's anything you know that I would love to impart and 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 messages that um, don't let it's hard because you have so many pressures and so many people within your family, your culture, your, I think, you know, um, I, I have this running joke that I still go to family functions and they're like, how are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, I'm doing well, you know, and well, you didn't become a lawyer and we don't see you on television. How's that career going for you? And I'm like, what do you mean? And you know, they're like, like, you know, you're, you're not Connie Chong, you know, you're not on television, so you must not be doing well. And um, again, it's just the, the family, you know, dynamics. And um, I think, you know, it's really important for people to follow their passion. And, and I know there are, you know, obligations that you feel greatly about, but uh, I think that when you're really passionate about something, again, I was a person who was like, no, animals must be shown. Even when everyone said blue chip is dead, go with your passion and, and fight for those and make it happen. Um, often you're the only one who's going to make it happen. So make those connective uh, alliances and reach out to people, you know, reach out, I, you know, people reach out to me. Uh, that's half our job is to have an open door to meet and, I would hope to inspire new people and to give an encouragement. So um, be brave, um, stay on the path and also reach out and, and make yourself known. Fantastic. That's a beautiful place to end. That was wonderful. Thank you so much again. Really no appreciate problem. it. Is there, uh, to, if people want to follow you and just kind of follow the journey with Nat Geo Wild and National Geographic Channel, can, can they do that um, online? Um, you know what? I have a, uh, my personal Instagram, unfortunately will be much more oriented to my baking. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, I would say our Nat Geo wild, uh, uh, fa uh, Facebook and also our Instagram, uh, accounts is probably is the best way. And, um, again, uh, I do have a personal, uh, Instagram, but it's much more oriented to my baking, my sure. other creative side. But if you want to, uh, go there, just look me up on Instagram, but, uh, and, I, and I happily uh, uh, oblige. And of course, Facebook, I'm on personally on Facebook, and that has a tinge of more of my work. Um, and, and I'm happy to, you know, um, to uh, accept friends there too. Um, but again, if you are interested Fantastic. in reaching out to me directly or my team, uh, I'll give you my assistance email. It's jess.garros, J-E-S-S dot Garros, G-A-R-R-O-S-S at Natgeo com and you know reference this uh podcast and it'll ring a bell uh and uh we'll connect you you know at the very least a half hour coffee with one of my uh, team or myself i will always assure you that i'm i'm really trying to you know um um uh help in being that extended mentor to people that that's wonderful i mean it's so nice in this day and age to have that access it really is because you know, so much of this industry is closed off, especially for people trying to break in. And so having that is like gold. That That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Janet. I can't wait to see you on the international version of the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the best. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes. You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening.